Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'll be speaking with Michelle Shepherd about what it takes to get on a board. Let me tell you a little bit about Michelle. Michelle is a results-driven, innovative thinker and an experienced team builder. She's skilled in strategy, publicity, stakeholder liaison and team management, business development, event management and brand development across the creative industries, commercial and not-for-profit organisations. She's the Deputy Chair of the Jane Goodall Institute of Australia and she's done the Foundation of Governance program with the Australian Institute of Company Directors. I first met Michelle when I was engaged by the Jane Goodall Institute to support their recruitment of new board members. So I met her when I interviewed her for the board role. She impressed me in that interview with her passion, her wisdom, and both her emotional and intellectual intelligence. So I'm super pleased that she's agreed to speak with me today and share some of that spark with you. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Michelle. Thanks, Helia. Great to be here. I'm so pleased you can be. So before we talk about uh, getting on a board and your pearls of wisdom there, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. So tell me, what was young Michelle like? What was young Michelle like? Well, I guess I was um, I was very creative as a child. I think, you know, I was always daydreaming and colouring in and creative. But I had this weird side to me, which is a little bit opposing to being creative, where I was really interested in business. I remember once I there was a, my parents were paving out the back and I decided I was going to set up a flower stall there because I could have the flowers. And then the the pile of sand became my, my flower shop. And I thought I could start a business. And I think I must've been about six at the time. Admittedly, this was in the backyard in my, in our house at the time in Albury Wodonga and no one came to my flower shop. So we shut down quite quickly, but that was my first interest. I thought business is fascinating, but I was very, very creatively inclined. So I've always tried to bring the two together. You can totally see that in the sorts of work that you've done about bringing in both of those sides of what you do and also part of your entrepreneurial spirit. So tell me, when when did you get your first inkling that you might end up as a board director and even more so a board director of an organisation like the Jane Goodall Institute of Australia? Through work, through my creative work, I would always 
want to be taken to the meetings where they would be discussing where we're going, discussing the strategy, what's next. And funny enough, and this is probably for another podcast, but I was often told when I was a very young employee that, no, no, that's that's not the meeting for you. Needless to say, I'd leave soon after. <laughs> so uh, I think, again, I was always very intrigued. And then as I got further into my career, I would present to many boards and I just got a real taste for being in that room and taking a deep dive into what are we doing? How do we progress? What's the best for the organisation? And how do we make the most of, of the tools that we've got? So I think it was an interest from an early stage, even though necessarily the work I was doing at the time boards in the beginning weren't a big part of it. It was something that I kind of grew to understand and know. So even though you said it was for another time, you mentioned there that you were told, no, no, that's not for you, but it is for you. How did you move on through that? I've always been very independent. I guess I was always an independent child. I was never very good at being told that you can't do something. I think I must have heard very early on that if someone says no to you, just go and find another way. And I think that I've done that throughout my career if if I didn't feel a situation was right um, I would move on and not take on board the opinions of I guess the elders at the time who thought that girls shouldn't do certain things or you had to be you know a master of something to be on a on a board etc so um, I just kept moving forward that's all I would do just kept moving forward fantastic And it's, yeah, such great advice for other women out there who no doubt are hearing similar things because sadly it does still happen today. Just keep moving on. Just keep putting your hand up. That's right. And it does still happen today. It keeps, you do get those comments every now and then. So then I often ask people when we're talking about getting on a board, how you got on your first board role. But of course, after the introduction, people know in a way, or I know how you got on your first board role. I was there to interview you. But I'm wondering from your side in that process, what was the process like? What was the steps in getting your first board role? If you can take us through that. It wasn't a deliberate decision. It wasn't something I had set out to do. I had actually been working with the Jane Goodall Institute as a volunteer, probably for a good 18 months, almost two years beforehand, and been very, very involved in the building of the social media, etc. Dr. Jane Goodall was coming over for a tour. So 18 months prior to that, I said, let me help. I was very familiar with the Institute on a global level, but the fact that I didn't realise they were in Australia and they were literally in the office above me just shouted to me that you need to actually try and help them. They're not PRs and they're not publicists. So I set about doing that in a pro bono capacity and while, you know, working my day job. So I had um, set about doing that and I got, because of my instinct and my desire to understand business fully, I jumped in absolutely headfirst and got completely immersed in it and got to know the board. We did an amazing job in that tour in 2014. It took the organisation to another level post-tour and really gave a few more opportunities for the organisation to reposition. Um, I knew that the board was going to be reworked. There was going to be a, a repositioning on the board and the chair at the time, Paul Smith, through full credit, had said to me, maybe you might like to consider applying. And it wasn't until that moment... And I kind of thought, well, you either do or you don't. You're going to do this or you don't. You could be missing an opportunity. And I decided to make that my year of yes. And I think there's a lot to be said about a year of yes. We should do a podcast on that another time. But I decided to do it. And by doing it, I actually was invited to interview. And that's where I met Helia, you, Helia. And 
what do you know? I actually got a seat on the board to which I'm really grateful to this day and and that's been five years now. Can you remember when you got the call or when you got notified that you'd been appointed to the board? Absolutely. Tell us what happened. Again, Paul Paul Smith had made the decision on, you know, there'd been a decision and he gave me a call and I, I must have thanked him a, a thousand times, I think. I was so really, really grateful for the opportunity and grateful that I'd said yes and applied and I thought that proves that you should just do it, just apply. If you get rejected, then you haven't lost anything, just apply. So it opened up a whole new window for me, a whole new window of opportunity and a whole new window of things to explore and learn and I grabbed it with both hands. So I was, you know, very, very grateful to this day. And so what happened then? What sort of, I mean, you were already involved in the organisation, so you already knew quite a bit about them, but was there some sort of induction process? What happened then when you turned up for your first board meeting? How did it happen? There was a strategy meeting where we got to know the other directors. There was a, there was a few new directors that had been brought on and we took a deep dive into a weekend together where we really looked closely at who we were in the context of the global chapters, what worked for us, what didn't. We looked through all of our policies and planned ahead what we needed to do. We set up various committees. And I think at that time, each of us was put on to probably two or three committees each. And then the following, I think, six to eight months, it was very, very intense period of redoing everything. It's almost like we reset our foundations and so as a learning for a new board director to go in and do that and suddenly say, right, we need to actually, you know, what is our code of conduct? Are we doing that the right way? What are our, what's our constitution say? Do we need to redo that? So we literally turned everything upside down, looked at it through a, why are we doing this? Is, it, is this good enough? And rebuilt. We re- rebuilt the organisation. So I was thrown in at the deep end but I knew that it was the best way to learn. Fortunately, I was surrounded by brilliant minds that I could learn from and I had my own skill set to bring to the table as well so that I could put my take on things. So that ability to give and take I think certainly helps you in moments of imposter syndrome. What are the key skills that you bring to the board table? Because I'd been running uh, essentially my own business, There was I'd never been really protected by an organisation and let someone else make the decisions. The decisions that I made meant that I could get money every month and I could pay staff. I had to learn the hard way how to run business, uh, deal with difficult people, be in situations where the media can misconstrue things and it can be said the wrong way, it can be put out the wrong way. There's a lot around positioning and perception of a brand or a person that I would work with. So perception is a very big deal. And I think all of those those perspectives were things that I could throw into the mix and say that's not going to be received well if we say we're this in the, the global chapter is that. So I would definitely make sure that I spoke up. And you mentioned just a moment ago about imposter syndrome, which again is a common feeling for many of us. How do you manage to keep those skills and those incredible strengths that you've got and that you bring to the broad table? How do you keep that front of mind rather than that other little voice? I think with imposter syndrome, I did learn through working with a lot of very, very high profile people that they actually suffer from it as well. There's that questioning moment in the green room at the back of something where you can see where they go into deep thought and think, well, who am I right? I'm just going to fake it till I make it, just get out there and do it. But really, for me personally, I'm used to being the one at the back of the the room. 
guiding other people. So that's where that sets in for me. I'm not used to standing up the front of the room and being the one that everyone's listening to. So when it came to that voice, I've had to develop that and I think I'm still developing that. I'm still not always that comfortable. But in my year of yes, which started with the board position, I just do it anyway. If I'm given an opportunity, I'm just, I just do it. And whether I have to practice or whatever I need to do, I just do it. So, um, which is why I'm here today, Helia. <laughs> I'm just doing it. It's not normal for me. Well, it might not be normal for you, but it's incredibly valuable for everybody else. So I'm so pleased that you managed to get yourself past that. And I love the concept of a year of yes. It's just fantastic. In fact, just to go down a side path, what else did you say yes to that year? Uh, I said yes to that year, probably in my business, I probably pushed for things that I never thought that I would get in terms of clients. I said, yes, if I think about I was given an opportunity to go to the UK for the Jane Goodall Institute to be part of their global committee. I was probably one of the oldest people in the room at the time, but I thought I'm just going to say yes anyway. And before I got on the plane to head off to the UK for that uh, global conference, I hit send on my application for Leadership Victoria's Williamson program, which I said yes to applying for that as well. I just thought I'm just going to do it. I actually was accepted onto that. So I'm part of the cohort for 2017. So that year of yes led to a number of other doors opening and it keeps going. I keep saying yes. So the year of yes is actually extended. I say no to the things that I know will drain my time now. So I'm more yes than no now, but it's so valuable. So you're now the Deputy Chair of the Jane Goodall Institute of Australia. So as the Deputy Chair, you're no doubt now involved in recruiting other board members. So tell me about how your organisation approaches recruitment of board members. How do you work out what you're looking for? What's the process you use? Do you advertise? Do you not advertise? How does it work? It very much comes down to where we are at the time and how we're looking to grow. We've moved into through various phases, I guess, and that was set out in the five-year strategy that took place at very first board meeting. Uh, we sat down with a five-year strategy, which was, you know, to rebuild our foundations, etc. So at each step, we look at our board in terms of a skills matrix and see which gaps we have missing. From there, we rethink it. Is this really what we need? How will this work across the entire board? Do we have enough seats at the table? Is it going to be too many seats at the table? And then from there, we advertise. We do. We put it out through our network. We put it out through any of the board websites that are happy to take requests for for new board members. And we put it out through people that we know as well. I guess we're quite specialised in the way that we're dealing with chimpanzee conservation and deforestation and a number of Africa programs, et cetera. So it's not essential to have a knowledge of those areas, but having an understanding of animal welfare and those sorts of things is very beneficial, I guess. From there, we usually, we will divide it up between directors to kind of fine tune things. So that's what we'll do our, our reference checks. We'll obviously have a number of meetings with the candidate that we have selected Beyond that, we tend to get the candidate to speak to the entire board as well individually and have individual conversations. So it gives our other board directors the opportunity to ask questions, to get a sense of how they feel that they will work with them, to get a sense of whether there's any extra areas that they could be involved in because each director has their own perspective 
that's our our usual path for recruiting directors. Mm, sounds like a really thorough path and a really great opportunity for not just the board to get to know the candidate, but for the candidate to also get to know the board and what they're coming into as well. That's right. We try to make it very equal. Uh, it is a big commitment, particularly with our board, because we're very hands-on, we're very operational. What sort of commitment are you asking from people? We're looking at five hours a week, really as a minimum. I would actually say that some of us tend to get involved in other things, so it means a little bit more. From what I've been told, that five hours a week is generally, that's quite a lot. And Helia, you may may or not disagree. My rule of thumb would be kind of 15 to 20 hours a month. So it's probably at the upper end, but it's not above the upper end of what I hear from other organisations of what sort of commitment people need to make, knowing that that encompasses everything. So reading board papers, attending subcommittees, attending events sometimes, those sorts of things. For your board, what are the sorts of things that take up that time? We have our committees. We, we tend to refresh our committees every 12 months or so. Committee meetings do lead to actions and there is a lot of admin generally that will go around that that the directors take away. There's obviously our board meetings. There might be various things that come up through the CEO that need to be discussed with particular board members. So there might be, uh, you know, phone conversations, et cetera. I also think that it's really important to have good relationships with the other board directors. There's a pretty much all the board, actually. If I think of our entire board over the last few years, we stand shoulder to shoulder with things. So if there is other things to discuss and we're easy to pick up the phone to each other. So there will be other conversations around certain issues or opportunities as well. There's always other opportunities that we get within our various fields that come. So it's about bouncing ideas off other directors before you take it to the the table. Then obviously we have board meetings, we have committee meetings, which happen roughly once a month. There might be extracurricular things that we do Obviously, we're in the we're in the area of um, reforestation, animal welfare, etc. So I will, as a board member, I will go and do tree planting. I've got one next weekend, and I'll be joining our roots and shoots teams, which are young people aged from four through to twenty four, who want to be a part of Dr. Jane Goodall's roots and shoots organisation, which is about building leaders for the future and stewards for the future who want to work across these things. So it's hands on things like attending tree plantings or beach cleanups, etc. But that's really, that's the bulk of it. It seems like quite a lot, but when you realise it's all about making a difference and I think that's why a lot of the directors are in this. It's about how effective can I be? How do I really make an impact against the causes that I'm interested in? It's a great reminder again often to choose the organisation that you want to be a director of, I would say it needs to be something you're passionate about and are prepared to give the time, whether it's paid or not. You still need to make that time and really feel strongly about what it is that you're participating in. I completely agree, Helia. It's funny, the, the, the board chose me. I didn't choose the board. I chose to become a volunteer. So that was my natural passion anyway. But I do agree that when you've got board papers to check and committee papers to write for the board and a lot to do, it does help when you are genuinely engaged and interested in what you're doing. Thinking about your board, I'm just back to your process for the board and you talked about there that building relationships with your other co-directors is really important. How do you do that? How do you build the relationships with the others that you work with? It can be quite difficult because our board is spread across two cities. The head office is now located in Sydney. And I'm in Melbourne. So 
there's only one other director down here that is from Melbourne. So I really try and connect as much as possible. Our strategy weekends are very good, but between board meetings, there'll be other things that I contact them on, whether it's issues that they're interested in, ideas that I've seen down here, and really try and make the most of the times that we are together. I find being a board director, because you're in the trenches with this group of people, you really do build special bonds. And I would say that, you know, and you have each other's backs as well to a degree. I think it's really important to always maintain that you are an individual that has a seat on the board. You need to stand for what you believe in and you're responsible as well. So when it comes down to the legalities around being a board director, you need to be an individual. But there's a nice part around that as well, that you're in something together you're trying to make a difference for the organisation, etc. So I make an effort. I really try and keep connected with the other board directors where I can. Oh, we've covered a lot. We've covered a lot here around getting on a board, how to get on a board, how your organisation gets people on a board, the building relationships, what are the sorts of things that people need to do and also beautifully touched a little bit on that, how to keep going when other people tell you that's not your place and how do you get past imposter syndrome. So I'm wondering what are the main points that you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? If you feel you've got it in you to be a board director, then grab it with both hands and just start surrounding yourself with amazing podcasts like this one. If you, you know, if you Google, you'll find many things online as well, just to give you a taste, different things. Some things aren't great. <laughs> I Googled, you know, some of the, I heard that there was an amazing chair in Melbourne who could just run things beautifully. And I thought, I really want to have that skill set. I want to be able to flow through a meeting with Grace. And that's my goal for this year. I'm looking at how to do that. So Google, find things, listen to things. You're not always going to agree. I would say 99% of the things that I look to and I and I hear, I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's not me. It's not me. But that's okay. Just go, keep searching. So if you feel you've got it in you, take it up, join an accelerator program or join a intro program. I know Helia has got a cracker, which I'm addicted to being a part of. I absolutely love that group of women. And I'm trying to actually work out how I stay part of it going forward. I think, you know, surround yourself with people who are doing it and those who maybe aspire to do it. And once you find your way, Australian Institute of Company Directors is fantastic. They've got amazing resources. You can learn so much there. Become a member. It seems like a big commitment, but I would actually become a member because that's your foundation. And from there, go off and find your tribe of people. And I would also say if you have other people around you who you think have amazing judgment, who would be skilled but just think, oh, I can't do it. I'd never be able to do that. It's all, it's for old men. It's not for me. Then grab them and take them to events. Just take them to things and bring them on the journey with you. Because I have to say that there's a growing group out there of amazing young people who have good judgment and uh, have an entrepreneurial heart and want to make a difference and who are really smart. So make sure you're taking them. I always encourage my staff to, you know, one day you should be on the AFL board. Just think of that. And she's like, oh, no, I've got to have a baby and I've got a baby and oh, I couldn't have the time. I'm like, just do it. Just find the time to do it because in 20 years' time I want to come to one of your charity lunches and you'll be up there. It's not impossible. And I, I think you do need to take people on the journey with you. So don't give up. Find your tribe. 
just keep looking and take other people on the journey. I knew having you on this podcast, Michelle, would be fantastic. There are so many beautiful pearls of wisdom in there. And you've already talked about some resources to share. You've talked about some of the really practical actions people can take. So I think all that is left for me is to say thank you. Thank you so much for sharing with the community today. I know there will be people that get a huge amount out of it. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Helia. And I'll see you next week at your board accelerator. Beautiful. Thank you. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So thanks for being here. I would love to continue the conversation with you. Yes, you. Did you know there's a growing community in the Take On Board Facebook group? We'll be sharing even more tips and tricks, resources, events, and getting ideas for future episodes, as well as helping each other out with advice. Most weeks, there's also a special in-camera session with our guest, so you can find out even more. I would really love it if you would join in. You can find the group by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more.